You are listening to the Freight Buyers Club, a home for those interested in international trade, shipping, procurement, logistics, and air freight. In fact, all things supply chain in the Americas, Asia, and beyond. Hello, I'm Mike King, and welcome to this News Insight special episode of the Freight Buyers Club. According to the United Nations World Economic Situation and Prospects, global economic growth is projected to slow from an estimated 2.7% in 2023 to 2.4% in 2024, trending below the pre-pandemic growth rate of 3%. A slowdown in international trade, soaring debt levels, high inflation and high interest rates. What lies ahead for the global economy in 2024? So right now, the world economy is said to be at something of an inflection point. It's a rethinking of globalisation and to some extent a regionalisation and it changes everything. As you could hear from those clips, there's quite a lot of economic pessimism and risk around right now. The World Bank's latest Global Economics Prospects report predicts that global growth will slow to 2.4% in 2024 before edging up to 2.7% next year. So I guess we can sort of call that a soft landing from projections two years ago or so. The World Trade Organization expects global trade growth of 3.3% this year, but there's still a lot of economic and geopolitical risk out there. I'd now like to introduce my next guest to discuss some of those risks and the general economic and trade picture. It's Head of Global Market Research at Nomura, Robert Subaraman. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Great to be back. Rob, you heard those numbers there. How are you viewing the global economic environment at the moment? It's quite a hard read, isn't it? Is Nomura aligned with those WTO and World Bank assessments? Yeah, Mike, we're very similar. So we're forecasting global growth of 2.4% this year, 2.6% next year. That's our base case. And I'd underline the words base case because it is extremely uncertain and there's a lot of different scenarios out there. So I think what you said, we've got to be very humble as economists right now in terms of the uncertainty. I'd say a few things. So one is in the past, before the pandemic, we didn't have inflation, so you're only worried about growth. Now we've got inflation and growth, so a lot of economists are worried about the last mile. It could be harder to get inflation down. It might go up again. Secondly, the world is a lot more susceptible to supply-side shocks. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. You uh, alluded to geopolitics, but I'd also say there's a massive concern around climate change and you know massive weather disasters that could cause commodity prices to go up again. And then the third thing unique for this year, some are touting it as the biggest election year in history. I'm not sure if that's right. I don't know. But we count 47 countries having major elections this year, and that's where 45% of world GDP. So there is huge uncertainty around the base case, which is not a hard landing, for sure, not a, not a global recession, but fairly soft growth. As you say, Rob, on some of those points, I mean, we've been talking on this podcast regularly about low water levels, for example, on the Amazon and on, on the Panama. We had it last summer in Europe. And yeah, those elections, they're looming large, aren't they? We've already had Taiwan, which again has just added to that geopolitical risk. But just back to inflation, if I may, and we'll come back to some of those risks in a moment. We've had these very short-term huge jumps in shipping costs out of Asia, um, but this is there's a domino effect around all the global shipping trades and in terms of pricing. Is this going to feed into inflation just as it did during the pandemic? Is that a concern, do you think? 
So we're monitoring it closely, Mike, and definitely shipping freight costs are going up with all the rerouting that's happening. But I would say at this stage, it doesn't look like it's going to reverse the disinflationary trend we're seeing. Yep, uh, you know, for some routes, freight costs have doubled. But I'd say one point is it's not global, right, like during the pandemic. And the second point I'd make is demand isn't as strong. So the overall capacity constraints, that is what causes costs to go up, isn't as severe. But we're monitoring it closely. And it's, you know, it is, it's definitely one of the risk scenarios that this could worsen. So definitely something to keep on the radar screen. So if you're a business on a general level, you'd still be looking at this, not factoring into higher borrowing costs. You mentioned we're in the last mile of this disinflation process. That's going to continue and shipping won't move that dial. That's our base case is that inflation is going to continue to ease. And I think importantly, central banks, you know, they've been pushing back on market pricing, which are wanting rate cuts to happen now. I think they're very cognizant of what happened in the 70s and that um, if they're a bit too early, they, they it could get a rebound in inflation. So I think they're very sensitive to that. And I'd say that's a, a key reason why we think inflation is not going to pick up too much. Demand is also cooling, but you know, going back to the uncertainties, the biggest uncertainty for inflation and what could cause it a resurgence is we get more supply-side problems. And when you're looking at risk or supply side problems, where are your big concerns? Are they geopolitical? I mean, we've had talk of a U.S. recession. Namor has predicted a U.S. recession later this year. Previously, I don't know if you're still on that position. As you say, we've got, well, a big, the big election is in the U.S. We've got a slowdown in China. We've got risk over the property market there particularly, but we'll talk about exports out of Asia in a moment. How would you order those risks? As it seems like there's so many at the moment. Yeah, there is. There's a lot. And I'd say, Mike, you know, my experience uh, in this industry of looking at global markets uh, is markets really can only focus on one thing at a time. And there's so many things. So I would say the biggest risk is geopolitics. And I would say that the US elections and the chances of Donald Trump getting reelected is linked to the geopolitics. So, you know, when I think about geopolitics, I think there is uh, certainly a, a risk that Ukraine struggles to get funding, and that could potentially be uh, an advantage to Russia going forward. And then I think the other kind of risk out there is the, um, the uh, war in the Middle East spreading. It's not clear to me how Israel gets out of this, and particularly Prime Minister Netanyahu. And so the risk is that um, somehow Iran gets drawn into this. And that could potentially, we talked earlier about shipping costs, but also oil prices could potentially go up a lot as well. And I'd say, I think it's important to remember, Mike, if oil prices go up, it doesn't hurt the Middle East that much. They're maybe exporting less volume because the price goes up, their revenues are still high. So I think that's the kind of area that is really not priced by the market. And I don't think they would start to, the market will start pricing rising geopolitical risks until it really is very much in their face. It's just very hard to price. So to me, that's the thing uh, we've got to watch most closely. And uh, all those things I talked about would be inflationary. 
and higher oil prices and other commodity prices don't hurt that Russian war machine that, that much either. On the, the Trump presidency, the perspective of it, it's very difficult when analysing that to really get a firm feel of what policy will be because there's different statements on different things. The one consistent element of policy that keeps coming out is the possibility of higher tariffs on Chinese exports, which we've already got quite a lot of tension around Taiwan. Is that something that you're looking at with concern? Yeah, we are. I think uh, the market overall is starting to you know, get more concerned with the primaries happening. I think uh, Trump, uh, in our view, is a bit different to the current administration and that both are tough on China, but Trump likes to do it with economic warfare. And he's talked about more tariffs, broad-based, and that is, in our view, a definite possibility if he gets re-elected. And again, that would be inflationary. In our view, a, a Trump presidency would be quite inflationary. He's likely to have looser domestic policies. And then you've got higher tariffs. And I think geopolitical hotspots could boil over in some places, which also could be inflationary via supply chain bottlenecks and commodity prices. So that is clearly a risk, right? That, we, that I, I would say is that the general sense now in our base cases, inflation is coming down nicely. But the politics and the geopolitics, which markets are not so focused on now, all point in one direction for inflation, and that is up. And I think that's an important reason why central banks right now are not rushing to cut rates because of all that political, geopolitical risks ahead. How do you view the weakness of the Chinese economy, Rob? We've seen markets in China plunge quite a lot in the last few weeks or so, or actually even longer than that. Are you seeing structural weakness there that might impact elsewhere as time passes? We are. So I think it's a combination of structural and cyclical weakness. So the structural is um, the working age population is now falling because of the demographics. There'd been too much investment in property and we've seen a structural slump in the property market. And I'd say the other structure is the geopolitics um, the protectionist policies against China. And I'd say the fourth one is uh, people have lost confidence in Beijing in, in the leadership to support the economy. Policies have been underwhelming and that follows the severest lockdowns of any country. So there is right now, I would say, a crisis of confidence and the risk of China in being in a deflationary slump that gets into a vicious spiral. The hope, and we haven't seen evidence yet is that Beijing comes up with more stimulus and they have room to do that. They haven't really done quantitative easing. They have room to do more fiscal expansion if they wanted to. Their pushback is that that's bad for long-term growth, but maybe that's what's needed to uh, revive the so-called animal spirits. Obviously, export is a key part of China's economy. We mentioned there that the Trump presidency might pose that part of its economy are quite a few new problems. But just in the short term, the Nomura's leading index of Asia X Japan's aggregate exports, there I said it, Nelly for short, it's made up of nine forward-looking components and has a three-month lead time. In your January 18 reading of Nelly, it was up to 93.8. It's fourth monthly climb in a row and the highest reading since May 2022. This is good news, isn't it? that we're going to see rising Asian exports or more positive Asian exports? Or is some of that 
reading, picking up factors leading into Chinese New Year shutdowns in, in February. I don't know how that works. Could you explain maybe a little bit more on that? Yeah, it's a bit of a complicated picture. Let me try and make it as simple as possible. What you, everything you said is right. Nelly uh, has been rising, and I'd say the biggest reason is because the global tech cycle, which Asia is very exposed to, is rebounding, and part of that is because of all the um, investments in AI and so forth. Uh, so that's that's the good news. But um, there is some reasons for concern and maybe to not be overly focused just on Nelly, uh, and that's because shipping costs, freight costs have gone up. We talked about that, and that's one of the indicators in Nelly, and freight costs have gone up not because of strong demand but because of supply constraints. So that's one thing to think about. Second point, you're spot on, Mike. We've got Chinese Lunar New Year happening soon. Maybe there was some front loading of shipments ahead of that before the long holidays. And the third thing that makes us a little bit reserved and not banging our fists on the table on this Nelly recovery is that there are signs that outside tech, things are weakening. And I'll just tell you, just the last couple of days, some of the data we've got out of Asia, the most timely export data, has been uh, shockingly weak. So Korea's exports for the first 20 days of January slumped to minus 1%. Wow. First 20 days of December, it was 11.4. So that's a big drop. And then Taiwan export orders for December, so a leading indicator, uh, was minus 16%. In November, it was plus 1%. So these are two indicators that they're very timely and um, they're pointing down. It's not because of tech, it's because of everything outside tech. Yeah, that's a surprising weakness at this time of year with, as you say, with the Chinese New Year period coming up. But okay, let's see what happens there. To take a longer term view, if we might, what's your view of, I'll call it trade fragmentation. It ties into geopolitical risk. According to Brookings at the US think tank, trade restrictions, friendshoring, nearshoring, all of that might seem like logical policy responses to national security concerns, but Brookings argues that it will slow a, and I quote, a much needed recovery in global trade. And in 2023, global trade growth ground to a halt at 0.2%, the weakest performance outside of a global recession in 50 years. As we heard, it's supposed to rebound this year, but it'll only be half the average rate of growth in the decade before the pandemic, if businesses and advanced economies are retreating from global value chains and diverting investment instead to domestic or regional supply chains and governments, as we touched on, are turning to more protectionist policies, what does this mean for global trade growth in the future? And also, I guess, for developing countries that have benefited over the last few decades from higher living standards due to their involvement in global trade? Yeah, Mike, it's a huge topic, I'd say. Uh... The short answer is it's not good. So this trade fragmentation we're seeing, you know, it's a turning point for the global economy. What's causing it? I think it's a combination of the pandemic that led to all the supply side problems, people wanting shorter supply chains, companies. And then we, we've had, you know, the geopolitics, also climate change, right? Where the disasters, there, there's um, a premium on security. And so that has led to less global trade, less free trade, shorter supply chains. And it goes very much against uh, the, the famous economist, David Ricardo, who uh, talked about comparative advantage 
from free trade for countries producing and exporting what they're good at and trading with each other leads to higher productivity and GDP growth. We're going the opposite way. And so this is, I'd say two things. What are the consequences if this continues? And I think probably it will continue is one, higher costs for companies and economies, and that means higher inflation. Two, lower productivity, that adds to higher inflation. And three, it makes it harder for the new frontier in developing economies because the way they actually develop and advance is by exporting to richer countries with their cheaper labor and, um, and land and, and resources. But if uh, there's less free trade, it's going to be harder for poorer countries to get richer. Not the positive note I'd hope to finish on, but Rob Subaraman, Head of Global Markets Research at Namora, thanks for joining me today on this Freight Buyers Club News Insight special. Thanks, Mike. Great to be back.